Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you are always meant to be on. We got a great guest for you today, everyone. His name is Mark Willis. He's a good friend, and he is a man on a mission to help you think differently about your money, your economy, and your future. After graduating with six figures, of student loan debt and discovering a way to turn his debt into real wealth as he watched everybody lose their retirement savings in 2008, he knew that he needed to find a more predictable way to meet his financial objectives and those of his clients. Mark is a certified financial planner, a three-time number one best-selling author, the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm in Chicago, Illinois, and co-host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Over the years, he has helped hundreds of his clients take back control of their financial future and build their businesses with proven tax-efficient financial solutions unknown to most financial gurus. He has become known as Not Your Average Financial Planner. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of W2 Prison Break. Today, we have a great guest for you for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's a fellow Chicagoan. So we always support our fellow Chicagoans. I've got my Cub shirt on today. Mark is, he was going to run and go get his Cubs hat, but in the essence of time, he's not doing that. So, but he is a fellow Chicagoan, diehard Cubs fan, it sounds like. Mark, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk to you today. Hey, thanks, Brian. Glad to be here and go Cubs. Go Cubs. That's right. It may not be their year, but you know it's early in the season. So we'll see how that shakes out. That's right. We're just glad to have once every 116 years or whatever. So I'm happy for that. Exactly. 16 was a great year. So Mark, you are a three-time number one best-selling author, owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, and you have your own podcast. You got a lot going on, but that wasn't always what you were doing, right? There's a story there. I think it's always important for the listeners those who are trying to break out of their W-2 to understand that their story is involved here. So what's your story? What were you doing before this? And how did you ultimately end up here? One of the coolest podcast titles, I mean, I've ever heard, man, W-2 Prison Break. I think that's so cool. So yeah, and it's sort of the scenario most of us find ourselves in. At some point in our life, we're trading life energy for this green stuff that just kind of goes through our hands and we're just sort of the way station as the money keeps moving and flowing to somebody else's pocket, right? And yeah, I didn't grow up much with a silver spoon in hand, that's for sure. Didn't know much about money, that's for sure. In fact, my first memory of money was my mom taking me to the bank and I'd accumulated in a paper bag, about 50 bucks, quarters, nickels, dollars, that sort of thing from allowance and whatever. Had 50 bucks in my bag, you know? Proud of that in my little underwear drawers, you know, little five-year-old, six-year-old kiddo, whatever. And my mom takes me to the bank And my job was to hand over that precious treasure, my life savings to a total stranger 
who said he was a banker. And then I was supposed to just, you know, trust him that he was going to do something good with that money. And I didn't understand it. And I guess looking back on that, I guess I wasn't far off from the truth in the realm of distrust for the bankers. But fast forward a few years and I'm now back in a bank, but this time I'm begging for a job, right? I just graduated from college. I was in six figures of student loan debt during the worst recession since the Great Depression, 2008 and nine. No way to get out of that problem except to go scratching for some scratch to get some money. And so I was looking for work and I was asking for work at a big mega bank. Let's just leave them unnamed, I guess. And the answer was no, I didn't get the job. And that got me scared because you know I've got a new family to take care of. I've got a, you know, a second wife named Sally May who wants money every month, <laughs> along with my beautiful wife. There was the second wife I married in college. Her name was Sally May. And so I had to figure out what to do. And, you know, we were lots of scared conversations, anger, you know, frustration. We weren't good with money. So this is sort of setting the stage, I guess, for our life with money. And, you know, thank God we've kind of hopefully built some of a platform to get away from some of that stuff. But part of it was realizing that banks got us into that mess and it's going to have to take banking to get us free from all that mess. And that's sort of what we specialize in now at our firm, like Growth Financial Services. We work with folks all over the country one-on-one, looking over their business plans, looking over their personal financial life, people who want to build real wealth outside of Wall Street and become their own source of financing. I have heard you speak several times, and I don't think I ever heard that story that way. So I appreciate you, Sharon. And I also love that you remember your first story about money. Like your first experience with money is, I think you said you were five years old, like going to the bank. I don't think most of us don't realize that there is a money story with all of us. And it all dates back to when we were really, really young. Like what's your first memory of money? And that shapes you, right? Yeah. And you said, I'm giving my money to somebody who I'm supposed to trust, but I don't really know this person and they're going to do something good with it. So yep. and your whole business is revolved around you know that now. So let's talk a little bit about, well, I want to go back and when you decided to, at what point did you decide to leave the W-2 and start your own thing? And, like, and what were all the emotions and mindsets revolved around that? You know, it's true. You look back on your kid memories, right? Those early memories, and they kind of become parables for other chapters in your life. It's almost like it becomes a totem pole that you start to sort of see throughout your lifetime. So the first sort of, you know, the man, let's say who I was supposed to trust was that banker in a suit Mm -hmm. to hand him that paper bag. But just as easily, we could see our boss at the W2, just like that same banker, you know, I'm supposed to hand my life's energy over to this guy or gal who's my boss. And they're supposed to hand me security in the form of a paycheck. And I was desperate for that. I was looking for that. I had the wrong notion that you know somebody else was going to give me security when I realized truthfully that nobody else, no person can give me that security that I think many of us look for. And it dawned on my wife first to do an entrepreneurial venture, to look into something that was beyond the W-2. So I think she was bent toward that as a child. I was bent also toward that as a child, but she got there before I did as a young adult. And she was willing to you know, thank goodness she had the courage to be okay with us not sort of joining the rank and file employee mindset. And so we started our business. We started a financial firm, first of all, and struck out and tried to figure it out one day at a time and had a couple of long meetings. Sometimes we had to do those meetings in a public setting, Brian, just so we didn't like, you know, 
end up in the jail cell somewhere. <laughs> we had needed some witnesses just in case things went sideways because money conversations can be dicey, you know. And so when we were getting into our first real entrepreneurial business, it was just a privilege and a pleasure to get to do that right alongside my wife. And one day, one step, one client at a time, we built another form of security. I think you've probably heard it said that you know, you're know you least secure when you only have one client. And when that client is a boss who might've eaten too much guacamole the night before and just walked into the office in a bad mood and decided to fire you, well, that's devastating to your financial future. My wife was just telling me this the other day that you think you're secure when you have that big job and you got all those employees to surround you, but all it takes is somebody in a boardroom with the wrong idea about a department And there you go. And there goes your future and there goes your quote unquote security. So better to have 99 or 100 clients, right? That are all streams of income for your family, for your business. And of course, the more you serve them, the more they'll be happy to refer you to others. That's like the network effect for financial security right there. Rather than just relying on one string, you've got a network of relationships that keep you going. Yeah, that's a great analogy there. 99 is definitely better than one any day of the week. And I remember for me as well, I used to think that the job was the security, right? Right. And a mutual friend of ours, my mentor and coach, Chris Prefontaine, told me one day, it hit me like a ton of bricks, the job is the risk. The The job job is is the the risk. risk. Yeah. Yeah. And I never, you know, after 25 years of working, I never thought of it that way until that moment. And I remember because I, you know, in 08, after the crash, our company went through three rounds of layoffs. And every time I was like, it's me, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I survived it, but it easily could have been me. And that really kind of got it started me thinking about, yeah, what you said, I need 99 other income streams working for me. I'm not there yet, but working on it. All right. So well, let's yeah, that, talk- you know, maybe this is family friendly show. So I'll keep this sort of brief, but folks might know the rap song. I got 99 problems, but a boss ain't one. How about that? That's right. You definitely kept it family friendly. Thanks for that. And sure, you know, you can't, as a business owner, you can't fire yourself. Well, I mean, I suppose you could and some should, but you I still do I mean. have a boss. She just, you know, sleeps next to me at night. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Same. Let's talk a little bit about specifically what you're doing at Lake Growth Financial and who you're helping and how you're helping them as well, because you keep talking about these, about money. And there's a lot of fear around money. There's a scarcity mindset. There's other you know, fears around money. And that's something that you help people with big time. Yeah, it is a mindset first, isn't it? You have to really ask yourself, what's really going to move the needle? And there are plenty of mindset coaches and people who can help you move the needle in yourself. And that's incredibly like leveraged, I think in many people's lives. As you begin to see yourself change, it's going to be internal first. And I would suppose that part of the reason why I was stuck in the spot I was in was I believed that's where I was supposed to be. The debt I carried out of college, the scarcity mindset, the scratching money together for that large student loan payment every month. And we were trying to throw extra at that student loan to try to get it done faster. And yet we still ran right up against the brick wall of, oh, just the exhaustion of having to try to throw money into a hole and then never see it again. And I remember very clearly there was one day when I realized that these were our most valuable dollars, the most important, the most valuable, the most potential laden dollars in our life was going to be when we were in our mid to late 20s. You know, listen, I don't care how old or young you are, today's money 
in your pocket is the most valuable money you'll ever have because at this point, the time you have to invest or compound that money is getting shorter and shorter every day, right? They say life is like a roll of toilet paper. The more you use it, the faster it goes. And that is true with money too. So putting that money to work rather than throwing it into some bank's pocket, into a student loan collector's pocket was what I was desperate to find a way to do. And so, yeah, it was sort of a wake-up call for us. We were following dutifully the Dave Ramsey snowball method. If you're familiar with the debt snowball method, we were paying all of our minimums except for one. And we were throwing everything we could at the smallest debt, had all my spreadsheets and all that fun stuff to try to... And it was very rewarding at the beginning, but it was a lot like those empty calories you chase when you're really hungry, right? Those sugar crash calories that you eat. It feels good for about 15 minutes to send in that large student loan payment every month. And then the empty feeling, (laughs) the bank account is empty. Your future growth potential is empty. Every dollar I would spend on a cup of coffee or on a student loan payment, really any dollar you spend or throw toward debt, you'll never see work for you ever again. And that was the wake-up call of my adult financial life was opportunity cost. Whenever I throw a dollar into debt or a car or a cup of coffee, I'll never see that dollar grow for me ever again for the rest of my life, nor be able to give it to my children or grandchildren. That became, I guess, another obsession of mine. How can I continuously compound the money and still get taken care of this problem, this albatross of debt around my neck? Wow. Wow. I learn something from you every time. So, okay. This is great. I mean, you're really getting us to think differently about our dollars, right? Which again, is not something we probably pay attention to. It's just like automatic. Well, I got this money. I got to pay this. I got to pay that. I got to do this, you know, versus how can I get these dollars to what you said, go to work for me and pay me and provide me with the lifestyle and the freedom? Because that's what we all want, right? We want our time and we want our freedom. So how did you figure that out? Well, it was a mentor of mine. He dropped by our house and he knew we were on that project. We had been clear with him about our student loan debacle and our desire to pay it all off with Dave Ramsey's debt snowball method. He also, I think, was keen enough to understand the problems around the debt snowball method of putting money into a hole and never seeing it grow for you ever again. So he sat down with us and he said, Mark, I've got something really important to share with you. And he proceeded to get into a big conversation around something called bank on yourself. And as he described it, I got to just tell you, Brian, my eyebrows kind of lowered and I crossed my arms and I knew my brain was shutting off because of what he was saying. It was counter to everything I'd been told and taught about money. I knew I didn't like where I was and I knew I trusted this guy and he had no other you know, aspirations or intentions except just to help us. He was just a college professor and good friend of ours. So you know, nothing else to do except to give us his best for us. So I had to keep my mind open and I went on a seven-month journey to try to figure out if this was true or if it was a big scam or what. But the concept was to bank on yourself, to become your own source of financing, to take the problem of debt and turn it into the solution. I've kind of thought about it sort of like financial judo, you know, where you take the enemy's force and you leverage it against him or her to keep yourself defended and protected and even to win the battle. And that's just what we did. Slowly but surely, we bought back all of our debt. We became better than debt-free. We didn't just you know, become debt-free. We bought back our debt one account at a time and became our own banker for ourselves. And that's what we did to not only pay off all of our student loans, but now we do it for everything in our financial life. We're the banker. 
my wife and I, we get to choose our repayment schedule to ourselves. We get to continuously compound that wealth, just like banks do. We get to begin to build a, a real platform of predictable increasing wealth, not just for ourselves, but for future generations as well. And it's using a strategy known as bank on yourself. And you know, Brian, I'll quickly mention just sort of to let the cat out of the bag, we can kind of talk about what it is. It's a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, but it's not the kind that Dave Ramsey was hating on. Now, that's not what I heard the first time I heard it. I didn't hear that. All I heard was whole life insurance, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, that's when my mind shut off, right? And I hope that your listeners have a better chance at keeping their mind open than I did. So this is categorically different. This kind of whole life insurance is categorically different than the kind that Dave's talking about on his radio shows. And because of that, it allows us to do some interesting things to act like a bank And I cannot find as a certified financial planner, Brian, I can't find anything else in the financial universe that better approximates how banks live and function in our lives than dividend paying whole life insurance. Design the bank on yourself way. So maybe I'll hush for a minute, get your thoughts, and maybe we can dive in wherever you want to go next. Yeah, I definitely want to let the cat out of the bag with the audience because, you know, I mean, I know what you're talking about. And I can remember when I first grabbed my policy. I have two, one from me and my wife. And prior to that, because I'd never heard of it before, never heard of it before. And I was like, again, like you, I heard the word insurance and I went blank. You know, it's like, oh my God, I don't really, I have to hear about this. And I went and I called one of my college friends who owns his own business for several years, very well to do. And I said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing, oh yeah, I have two of them. And I signed up, you know, and, and I go. did it with a couple of other folks too. And they knew exactly what it was. And, you know, so this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wealthy people do this or people who are in that position. So, yes, mm-hmm. those are my thoughts. Please, please continue and share the knowledge. Well, and I think this has to do with any of us, even if you're not in debt like I was. If you're a business owner or an aspiring to be business owner, If you're someone who buys stuff (laughs) like cars or vacations or plan to retire someday, because that's like a big expense right there, 30 years of not working, that's kind of a big expense. So anybody who has participation in the world economy, I'd suggest you at least hear us out, right? If I could be talking about anything other than life insurance right now, I would be. But again, it seems to best approximate how banks work. So how do banks work? Well, they lend money. That's their major product. Their product is debt. And then they make their profit off of the interest that they collect. In fact, there's a great book out there. It's called Debt, the First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. And that book's title is the best part of the book, in my opinion. It just reminds us that debt isn't going anywhere. Banks are not going anywhere. In fact, banking is as fundamental to the human experience as marriage, friendship. I mean, you name it, right? It's as old as the pyramids and older, really. So yeah, whole life insurance. What does that have to do with banking? Well, okay. When you put money into a whole life insurance policy, it does a few things really well. Number one, it grows on a predictable and guaranteed schedule every single year. There's really nothing we can do to stop it. Not the stock market, not real estate, the world's economy, interest rates, whatever. It just grows on that steady, predictable schedule every single year. Number two, it's guaranteed. That might be enough for us. But number two is you have access to that money. You have access to that money. You don't have to wait till you're some ripe old age. You know, you don't have to beg somebody. You don't have to ask politely. You don't have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. You just get the money. It's your money, right? Why would we need to ask a 401k provider permission to access our own money unless it's not really ours? 
Let that sink in for a minute, right? Yeah. So the cash in the life insurance is available for you for any reason. I can send my daughter to college with it or Disney World. I can fix up my own kitchen or invest in real estate. I can even use it to pay off my student loans, which is what I did. The next piece to this puzzle is it is life insurance. So it automatically finishes the job of taking care of the family for you, which we never want to forget how important that is. Favorite charities or family are going to need you around, even if you're personally, physically not around. And then the fourth piece, it is like a bank. You can borrow against the cash value of the policy. And when you do that, it will continue to grow and compound without interruption. Like even on the cash that you borrow out, it's still going to earn interest and dividends as if you hadn't touched a dime of the money. Now, to me, that solved the problem of student loan debts, like either pay off the debt or say, which one do I do, right? I hear clients ask me that all the time. Mark, I'm in debt, but I'm not getting any younger. Do I pay off my debt or save for my future? I can't decide. And most of us just kind of end up sticking our head in the sand. But in this case, no, I was able to buy back my debt with my policy. I packed enough money in my policies one by one, and I borrowed that money and paid off the debts. I call it the debt snow bank method of paying off the debt. And it's given us a tremendous amount of advantage in our retirement years. I love that. The debt snow bank method. Sounds like you invented that. And we I ended mean, up getting it trademarked and all that for just, yeah. just for fun. Just for fun. <laughs> You've been talking about buying back your debt, and it might be hard for a lot of people to understand that concept. You know, that concept. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit further for the listeners. Sure. Yeah. Well, again, I think we're all in the banking business. Mm-hmm. We're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. And the banker, whoever your banker is in your life is going to win the financial game. That's just plain and simple. I don't care what you got on your mutual funds last year and your 401k. I don't care if your crypto is doing well or poorly. What matters most is who's the banker in your life? Who's the banker in your financial life? It's almost like I got two little fish out there. My daughter and I take care of these two little fish and we get to decide the environment that that fish lives in. You know, if we never clean that tank, that fish is not going to last long. If we put way too much food in there, there'll be a happy fish for a day or two. And then, you know, maybe no fish <laughs> after that. It happens that the environment that your money lives in is controlled by the banking industry. And again, I'm not a tinfoil hat kind of guy, but the banking industry runs the world economic reality. That's just the way it is. But banks are a noun and banking is a verb. And Nouns don't always have to do the verb, right? So I can still bring back the banking function in my own life and be the bank. I can change who the banker is and I can still be a part of the banking system. I can still participate in buying cars and going on vacations, investing in my business, whatever. I just get to decide now because I've got a tool, a tool that interacts with the world economy, like whole life insurance. A bank on yourself designed whole life policy is a real actual contract that It's not just a mindset, right? It's a tool that we can all use. And now I get to participate as a banker and I get to do what banks do. I'm not an FDIC insured bank, obviously not, but I get to use the tool of whole life insurance like a bank and bring banking down to my personal life and take it away from fire my banker. And that's what I mean when I say to buy back my debt. Essentially, functionally, what I did was I kept all the minimum payments on my student loans Mm -hmm. And everything above the minimum payment, I just flooded into my policies, just as much as I could, lifted that cash value up. And I said, all right, now I've got enough money in my policy because my debts kept coming down and my policies kept going up. So I said, all right, let me borrow against the policy and go pay off all my debt. 
And now I'm paying myself that monthly student loan payment to the policies that I own and control. That's what I mean when I say I bought back my debt. Got it. And then you pay back the loan direct mm-hmm. to the policy. If I want to, I did. If you want to. Yeah, I did. And I encourage my clients to do the same. It's not like you have to do it, but if you don't repay your loan, they'll deduct it from your death benefit when you pass away. And I didn't want that. I wanted to give my family the biggest death benefit, but I also wanted that money liquid in my policy, sort of like a HELOC. You know, When yeah. you pay down your HELOC, it becomes liquid and accessible for you to use again. What are some of the, well, I'm asking, I'm going to make a comment about the banks and then ask you about the loan or the cash policy. The banks are on every corner for a reason, you know, so do what the banks do. And it is also my understanding that banks own these policies, don't they? That's true. Yeah. Well, they don't own the companies. The insurance companies are different than the banks. We can get into that some. That's an interesting conversation there, Mm -hmm. but they are purchasers of life insurance. Banks are. Banks yeah. are purchasers of life insurance contracts. And that is another jaw-dropping moment in my financial journey when I figured out that banks are some of the biggest purchasers of these contracts, these whole life contracts. In right. fact, anybody who's bored to tears some Friday night, just look up the phrase bank-owned life insurance on the internet. You'll see what I'm talking about. Literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars are wrapped up in life insurance contracts owned by these banks. If you have a bank account, you have owners of that bank are going to be insured by that company and there's going to be, you know, incredible amounts of cash in those policies. So a good friend of mine said to me Mark, he said, "Mark, don't do what banks tell you to do with your money. Instead, watch what the banks do with their money and go do that instead." And so when I heard that, I realized that and I looked it up, Bank of America is one example. They have more money in cash value life insurance than they have in all of their bank real estate across the entire world. So that means that more money is sitting in cash value life insurance than the bank you see down the street it's worth and all of the other Bank of Americas across the country and the world. That says something to me about what the bank sees as valuable. In fact, it's a part of their tier one asset capital, which they are required to keep, and they always flush it out as much as possible with cash value life insurance. The safest stuff that you can buy, even for banks, is cash value life insurance. Yeah. It's boring, right? But yeah, it works. (laughs) That actually could be, and again, I always, as a CFP, I really want to tell folks like the up and the down side of anything, it is boring. In fact, that's the whole point. <laughs> you know, it's going to be steady as she goes, never going to thrill you when the markets are soaring. However, we're down 10% or so as we're recording this in 2022 for the mm-hmm. year in the markets. So, you know, boring sounds pretty sexy to a lot of folks these days as they look at their brokerage accounts or 401ks. But yeah, it's going to be steady, middle single digit returns. It's not meant to be an investment replacer. In fact, it's meant to augment your investments. You know, Use this policy sort of like your settlement account or your cash account, and then you can borrow against the policy to go invest in your real estate or your business as you're getting your business started. And I'm assuming too that that's part of how you help your clients. You know, we have the strategy and then you get into some of the tactical stuff too, which mm-hmm. is you know, what are some of the cool things that you've done or you've seen your clients do with the cash value of the policies you know, to maybe create some other streams? It's infinite, the application here. So yeah, I mean, you know, folks have used it to quit their day job. 
and start their business. One guy, he quit his day job and had enough cash in the policy to fix up his house and turn it into an Airbnb and buy an RV camper and travel the country, right? And now he's making, I mean, I think his mortgage is like two grand a month and he's making six, seven grand a month on the Airbnb. So that's awesome. Other folks are putting, yeah, isn't that nuts? And he did that because he had packed money away before he quit the day job into policies. Another guy has decided that he wants to start an authorship lifestyle. He wants to write books. So he self-publishes his book with his policy. Every time he needs to publish a new book, he just publishes it using proceeds from his policy, borrows against the policy and gets the book out there. He keeps the entire, what's the word? Is it royalty? Yeah. There's nobody, no middleman Mm -hmm. to get out there, but he's got people marketing his book and everything. He's become his own publisher in a lot of ways. I'll give you one more. One guy, he's big into crypto. So he has the safe, predictable money in his policy. He'll borrow that money out and go put it into certain coins that he thinks are going to take off. He knows that some of them will not take off. He's already factored that in. And so he knows that even if the crypto crashes, he'll still have the growth inside the policy, even on the capital he borrowed out to invest in Shiba Coin 2.0 or whatever. He's still got the growth in his policy. So, you know, it's like Robert Kiyosaki says there's three sides to every Bitcoin there's heads, tails, and then there's the edge. This guy is playing the edge. He knows that if the coin crashes, he still has growth in his policy. But if it goes to the moon, then he's got additional wealth in the policy along with the coin's returns. So, those are just three of, you know, I mean, folks are using this for real estate all the time, syndication deals, you know taking the courage to start their business. So the opportunities are pretty endless. I love it. And to do what you love too, right? That's what we talk about here on this platform is, you know, to break out and do something that you love. I love, I mean, the first story was, I mean, the guy got an RV and travels a country, turns house into an Airbnb, turned his house into an asset mm-hmm. yep. and is cash flowing. And then it has the growth of the policy. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and amazing and, and it came, it came out of his courage to leave that W2, right? He knew that that was going to be required for him to be able to leave his house. He'd have to quit the job and some other things. So along with this policy comes a new sense of courage. I feel you you feel a certain way when you're sitting on a big pile of capital, you can do things. You got options, right? You got options to make that brave choice. Since we only have so many spins around the sun, we might as well get brave and do what we were called to do. You know, I love that that you brought that up, you know, because courage, fear is so huge. Fear is so huge with why we're afraid to leave our job, not necessarily to start a business, maybe just start a different career, right? A career that you love or just just a, a life-altering decision. There's so much fear around what if it doesn't work? I run out of money and I lose my reputation, you know, and this is something that will absolutely, I know for me personally, gave me the courage to put my resignation in nine months after I started my real estate career. And this was in place prior to that and gave me that. I mean, so much flexibility. I was able to smash out a lot of debt and, you know, not have the fear of, you know, having to produce the same level of income that I was making in my W-2 job. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. just a great tool. I don't think a lot of people know about it. So let's educate people. And where do they go to learn more about it from you. Well, thanks. Yeah, there's so many business applications. I mean, your business can own these policies. You know, families can own them as a family. 
you know, we've had a lot of really creative strategies for the grandpa, grandma to, to get a whole portfolio of these for the family and mm. talk about it at Thanksgiving dinner. And I mean, you do you as a family, right? But I've had families bring up the conversation about this. Hey, Timmy and Tommy and Susie and Sally, here's your policy dividends this year. And hey, you better not ever go to a car dealer for an auto loan. You come to the bank of grandma and grandpa and these sorts of things. But it's not just creating the money for the people. It's also helping to prepare the people for the money where you really train them in the principles and values that you want to share with them. Like what good is a big fat death benefit when you pass away? Nice as that'll be for the kids. If you didn't leave a set of principles in their hearts, they'll just blow it you know, at the nearest casino. But if you train that family or that business, if you're a business owner, to really understand your principles for finance, there's some incredible things that can happen. So anyway, Brian, yes, to answer your question, guys, if you want to build real wealth with contractual guarantees outside of Wall Street, and you want to do it in a way that's safe, predictable, where the outcome is determined before you even get started, the website to check out is kickstartwithmark.com. That's Mark with a K, kickstartwithmark.com. And if you want to get to know us first, you can date me at my podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, where you can find us over 200 episodes on this topic and similar strategies. I appreciate you sharing that. We'll leave those links in the notes for everyone. And I just encourage everyone listening to go to that site and learn about this. Mark is a extremely knowledgeable and intelligent, one of the smartest people I've been around. And just this is mind-blowing stuff. And, and we're just like scratching the surface really here on what the possibilities are. One of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, how many of these can you own and can a business own it? And you really touched upon that. So there's really just there's a lot of flexibility. And then I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the tax situation. We didn't really talk about taxes. I mean, this is a killer for most people. So maybe because it, you know, in the bio, we mentioned, you know, how to live tax-free retirement, because that's what we're scared about is tax-free mm-hmm. retirement. Yeah. And one more, again, that totem pole of that banker in my mind, the IRS is just one more example. The boss at the W-2, the IRS, the banker, they're all looking to pick your pocket. And some people do it with a gun. Some people do it with a tax form. And the IRS, you know, funny enough, you put the words the and IRS together, Brian, what word do you spell? You put the and IRS together, you get the word theirs. So there's a reason why they have that acronym, right? Theirs. It's all theirs. When you put your money in different things, it's taxed in different ways. Real estate, right? We know that. Savings accounts. You put money into a savings account versus a real estate deal, and it's going to act different in the tax world. The same is true with life insurance. Since the IRS was born, which was in 1913, realize guys, we had 100 plus years in this country without an income tax at all. But when it was initiated in 1913, life insurance had predated the IRS by over a century in this country. And so it got to be grandfathered in. All the tax freedom that came before we had an income tax and a capital gains tax and more, it's all baked into the rules around life insurance. So if you put money into a life insurance contract as a business owner, you can do it, or as a person, you can do it. And if you set it up correctly, the tax law says you can get access to that money with no tax due. It's like a mega Roth IRA, you might say. And putting that money in, because there's no contribution limits to life insurance. There's no income phase outs to life insurance like there are with Roth IRAs. I mean, Brian, what do you, I think the max you can put into a Roth IRA is like six grand a year, seven grand a year, something. So is that going to do 
what we need in this country for our retirements, not for the life I want to live in retirement anyway. And I don't know, when I talk to most people, they tell me that taxes are going up and yet they're all putting money into SEP IRAs and solo 401ks and their business 401k if they have one. This gives you a strategy where you can put a ton of money into something that you still have access to. And yet when you get the money out now and in the future, it's going to be without Uncle Sam, you know, grabbing some money too. Yeah. It is super important. So, and yeah, that was one of the questions you guys first asked was, do you think taxes are going up or not? I never thought about it. And yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And yes, I do. So ask yourself that question and then that'll help you make an informed decision because they absolutely are going up if you're paying any attention to what's happening in the world here. So Mark, I'm looking behind you and I notice you have a bunch of books. So I'm just going to ask you maybe one or two of the top books that you love to read or that you think would be applicable for our listeners or just your favorites, really. Sure. Yeah, there's a couple back here. I mean, the Bank on Yourself Revolution is going to be the one that I'd say everybody check that one out if you're wanting mm-hmm. to get to know this strategy. Another one by Darren Hardy is called The Compound Effect. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, such a great book, great for the mindset, great for skill sets. And then how about this one? Bill Perkins wrote the book Die with Zero. <laughs> Die with Zero. What a you know, splash of cold water that book title is, but it's a great little book. I don't know if I agree with everything in there, but I really do think that if you're going to live your best life, you don't want to mindlessly leave a ton of money to your kids. Think about it. If you don't do the life you want to live with the money you've been able to earn, hmm. essentially you wasted years of your life. If money and time are intricately linked, if money is like, you know, you exchange life energy for that green stuff. If you dined with several million bucks and never spent it and never really had a plan for where it was going to go or what charity, then basically you wasted years of your life behind that desk when you could have been with your family, enjoying yourself with the life energy you'd accumulate in that savings account or whatever. So die with zero, kind of an interesting strategy. And there's some strategies in that book that I think more folks need to know about. I like that one. I have not read that one. So I'm going to pick that up. The other two I'm familiar with. So perfect. Well, Mark, before we wrap up, just want to see if you had any parting thoughts or you know any advice you want to lay down here before we, uh, before we end it. Well, at risk of giving people too many action items, you know, again, check out kickstartwithmark.com. But I do want to point you to just one other podcast, which is one of my favorite people in the world. And we both know them very well, Brandon and Amanda Neely. They're incredible. They're again, they're bank on yourself professionals, just like I am. And their podcast is Wealth Wisdom Financial. So folks are just, you know, desperate to learn more about some of these strategies. Check that out. Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast. I echo that. I have interviewed them before and I love Brandon. Amanda is extremely knowledgeable. And she actually turned me on to using the policy to as a down payment to purchase a property which I hadn't even thought about. So again, just more gold there. She's smarter than all of us put together, my friend. I'm telling you, got to know her and kinder than probably all of us put together too. She and Brandon, both great folks. Yeah, I would agree. They'll appreciate that and certainly put their link as well in the show notes. Mark, I appreciate you spending the time. This has been tremendous as always. You know, Good seeing you. And you know, everyone, thanks for tuning in today and have an excellent day. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, 
please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to you busting out.